Life is what you make it. I hope you make a movement. I hope your opportunity survives the opportunist. Hoping as you walk across the sand, you see my shoe print. And you follow till it changed your life. It's all an evolution. Those are the words of the late, great rapper Nipsey Hussle. He was murdered on March the 31st, 2019. Less than a year later, Kobe Bryant perished with his daughter and a little more than a dozen other people in a helicopter crash. And this marks three years from the date on which that happened. And the loss of those two men in my mind's experience are so inextricably connected. And from what I can tell, not only were they based out of Los Angeles and, and had that West, West Coast captivating entertainment aura, but they were both really budding souls in their lives. Uh, Nipsey Hussle's music had always been very compelling to me, but it was starting to gain a lot of momentum in the mainstream, and that's not always a good thing. But he was earning his notoriety with uh, a lot of athletes, a lot of public figures, especially for what he was doing on the microphone. There's so many really entertaining and insightful clips of him on radio interviews and just just his audio, what he was speaking about with his approach to life, the lessons he learned. And Kobe Bryant's evolution, especially post-retirement after 20 years in the NBA, was on a very similar track. The way he was speaking about his life's experience and, and being able to disseminate that wisdom, they were both primed for immeasurable impact on a world and a society and culture that is in desperate need of those type of souls. And so the loss that I still feel for not having those two men in, in our reality is profound. And it was three years ago today that we lost Kobe and his beautiful daughter, Gigi, and all the people who joined them on that helicopter ride that day. And this is not a true crime podcast, so I'm not going to get into the occurrences or the hows and whys and what fours around that terrible accident. Uh, I'm not going to give too much time to the incredible statistical career of Kobe Bryant. And I only say incredible because it's, it's only hard to believe because we take for granted his trajectory. And one of the great places I love to start in presenting the story of Kobe Bryant as we knew him as the Los Angeles Lakers shooting guard was that he came off the bench for the first two years of his career. And the culmination of that, so to speak, was his final, their final game of the season, a playoff loss to the Utah Jazz, in which, including end of regulation and overtime, Kobe airballed three potentially decisive three-pointers. Airballed. If you're a basketball player or a fan, there are a few things at the professional level more humiliating than to not touch a damn thing with your shot. And if you haven't seen his 
documentary that I believe is still available on Showtime. He's intimately involved and interviewed, so I, I think as far as athlete documentaries go, that's a must-watch. But he talks about that. He said, I got home and I was back in the gym working on that shot. And he gives particular weight to the the balance of that moment because it could have gone either way. There's another segment in his story that we're going to talk about where that same that same significance was weighing in the balance uh but I, I i love how he spoke about those moments that for many players those could be mentally career ending in a way conditions and what we've come to appreciate kobe for is his mental toughness and that is the way of the Mamba mentality. I, I think even now we can almost supplant mental toughness for the Mamba mentality in, in our American lexicon because, and, and I, I'm so drawn to this because of my passion for the world of tennis and it, it warmed my heart so deeply that Kobe was taking a keen curiosity into learning to play tennis. And I mean, gosh, if there's, he made a few appearances on the tennis channel and if we could have had such a transcendent figure unifying a greater interest in the game of tennis, these, these are the things that I'm missing. These are, these are these missing stepping blocks that could have changed how we know this world and not just this world of sport in 2023. It, I, I see these threads cut short by the fates and it does make me sad. It does make me emotional because he was, I, I think, a deserving role model. And those are very lofty heights to occupy in sport, to be an exceptional player and have a character that people would want to emulate. And that was not always the story of Kobe Bryant during his professional career. I was watching, I, I was in a basketball mood. It was probably because of this, uh, knowing that I was going to sit down and do this podcast today in, in tribute. But the Redeem Team documentary on Netflix is uh, re really entertaining so far. Uh, it does include some predated uh, interviews with Kobe from 2015-16, but even more concurrent interviews with players LeBron James, Carlos Boozer, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, real superstars of the league, and LeBron is one of the few still playing, remarkably. I think he's 37 at this point, which is really tremendous. But they talked about how... So to succinctly describe the background of the Redeem team and, and the context that is relevant to Kobe's story, they were essentially embarrassed in 2004 with a bronze medal placement uh, when they were still considered to be the, the premier talent pool internationally for the game of basketball. And that 
went downhill into uh, uh, 2006, lost to Greece in the FIBA World Championships, which placed them in a position where they had to play the qualifying rounds to even participate in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And Mike Krzyzewski was at the helm, and along with Jerry Colangelo, one of the, I think he's one of the most storied names in especially uh, North American basketball, U.S. basketball now, uh, but he, they, they both were at the helm for picking the teams and trying to figure out the ways in which they could regain the dominant spot, which they should have been, I mean, genuinely deserved to be occupying. Uh, and one of the missing links that they saw, because in 2004, they had a lot of non-superstar players, still very, very capable and talented players on that roster, but as they sought to develop this foundation for an amalgam of superstars, uh, not, not on purpose. There were, there were still people, you know, it, it's still a roster full of uh, NBA all-stars, to be fair. But I, I was, of course, poised for this part in the, in the rising actions of the story where they needed a veteran to inject some accountability and, and experience for everyone's benefit. And that missing link through 2007 was Kobe Bryant. And at the time when he joined the team, he was already mired in his personal issues, which we'll speak to in a second. But I, th I think this is relevant for me to inject at this point in the story to say that he, he was an outcast. He was a leper in that community. And... This group of players, LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh, were already knit together from being in Las Vegas, training with Team USA, going through the loss to Greece in the, in the FIBA championships. And so they already had a, a bond unto themselves. So with Kobe in the mix, as, as Bill Pulaski, longtime LA sports writer, said in the documentary, this was a point in Kobe's career where his participation could have gone either way. Uh, he already had championships. As I said, he was an outcast. He could have taken a very egotistical approach, and, and honestly, that's what everyone expected of him. And it, it could have gone terribly for him, let alone for Team USA. Uh, J.A. Adande, another uh, really high-caliber sports writer for a long time, also makes the point that to date... In, in late 2007, Kobe had never ingratiated himself with the other players in the league. And that had continued through his first experience with Team USA. The first team meeting that he attended, he sat alone and didn't do the, the socializing element that uh, a lot of players are known for. There, there was no, not only was he not approaching, he was not <laughs> necessarily approachable, but, but that was his intensity that a lot of people came to respect, but how that manifested in Team USA participation is he, he was willing to call out the fact that he observed in international basketball that since there were no, uh, there wasn't quite the same recognition of superstar, all of the players on those teams were committed to doing the dirty work. And he said on Team USA with a collection of stars, none of us are used to 
doing the dirty work, the rebounding, the the relentless defense, the hustle when you have four other guys on your team often who are willing to pick up that pace. So surprise, surprise, Kobe was setting a new tone. And there's so many great clips from practice where, where Coach K is saying, we've never had a fucking practice like this. <laughs> and, and you know what the new ingredient there is. Uh, so I, that it, he, he was that difference maker. And it, it's so enthralling to see him and, and LeBron talk about their different styles of leadership, Kobe was much more of the stoic and, and the only response you would get would be from his, uh, his, his lack of expression. LeBron admits he's a very vocal leader and Kobe is not. So, you know, there, there was, uh, if, if Kobe's not engaging with you, collaborating with you, you can rest assured that you've let him down in some way. Um, so this, I mean, we'll, I'll, I'll sprinkle in some more of this Team USA story, but uh, there's, and I, and I know I've jumped around a little bit, but there's so many unique elements of who he was, not just in the context of basketball. And I, I guess I'll use this opportunity to speak to my personal interpretation of the events surrounding his personal marital life and even even in his documentary, which I think came out in 2011, 12, 13 or something like that. So, so almost a decade removed from those issues. First and foremost, I, I do want to put on the table some level of openness and sympathy to what attractive, highly successful, highly desirable professional athletes and entertainers go through with people who do try to take advantage of them. And, and we, we know about this, not just in the context of sexual uh, misbehavior, assault allegations, but it's, it's people in their own lives who have, have less manipulative waves on, on paper, but that is a tale as old as time in, in this modern era of entertainers that there are often people on the take, but often people who are very close to them and who remain on the take for a long time. So with that in mind, because I, I do think the test of time has proven that th there may not have been any substantial wrongdoing. And I, I, I so resented this at his passing, the people who tried to bring to the fore this concept of, of let's not forget that Kobe's a rapist and don't be so sad that he's dead. I mean, that that's an it's an inhumane callousness that I, I hope is not and this. I mean, shit, this is a massive problem in our culture that we don't know how to honor people in their death. I remember being at this. This is totally unrelated, but John McCain's passing, whatever you want to say about John McCain. Uh, I, I just remember where I was and, and people celebrate. Oh, thank God he's gone. And he was a veteran and a longtime public servant. And sure, he was not everybody's cup of tea and not a perfect public servant. But we, we have lost this ability to honor people in their death. And so, and this is certainly the age of ad hominem attacks anyway. So when you attack someone's character after death without a, any sort of substantiation of what he may have done to balance the scales. Uh, of course, that's not for us to judge. But 
this is all a way of saying that I, I, from what I can tell, there is no guilt in terms of wrongdoing that Kobe Bryant should be misremembered for. However, what I so valued from his example was that he took the guilt of even being in that situation and more importantly to him, putting his wife and his family in that situation of scrutiny, criticism, condemnation, he handled that with a level of guilt and shame and humility. I I know he's a man, uh, he was a Catholic, so the the repentance and pursuit of forgiveness seemed to be there almost from the beginning of when he found himself in that situation. And he was a young, young man. I mean, he, he came into the league as an 18 year old. And, and I remember him speaking about how he would drive through Westwood where UCLA is. And after, after, you know, during his NBA season, after he had foregone college and thinking to himself, man, did I fuck this up? Like, like, look at all these kids being kids and having so much fun. And I could be hooping at UCLA and still going to parties and, and really uh, maturing socially. And the, the doubt that he felt as a young man, I thought was very compelling. Because we, we think of someone like Kobe and, and how he's remembered now for his resilience and mental toughness and intensity and we don't think that doubt figures much into that equation, and yet it is so refreshing. I, I've come to really highly value the humanizing, uh, or, or, or rather when you recognize someone's humanity, that I have gone through this with my own parents uh, and other people in my lives, but when you connect to someone's humanity, when you don't see them occupying this role and place on a pedestal, when, when you find them to be full of doubt, error, uh, it, it is a very humanizing and there's a, there's a connection that establishes there. So, so hearing Kobe talk about his doubt in that experience as a young man, not understanding if he made the right decision for his life and his future, very compelling and, and intimate. And so maybe it's just the benefit of a favorable memory in hindsight, but as a young man, how he comported himself in the face of character assassination and, and something that had it been true, accurate, these accusations that he had sexually forced a young woman, uh, then I, I, I think, I mean, this was in the early 2000s, but that's still in the age where the hammer is heavy when you come down on someone for... I mean, now we live in the in the post, and not quite. We haven't quite moved on from it, but the Me Too era, where I mean, I, I still keep in in my mind's eye the New York Times ad, which I, I thought was very clever and impactful in in its own right. Uh, the he said, she said, he said, and then the rest of the page is she said, she said, she said, she said, etc. And we we do give more weight to those accusations today. But my, my point being, without a preponderance of social media, he was still intensely condemned 
and as we, as I said, ostracized in the media, in that community of the National Basketball Association. And if, if I'm to simply state why that is such a memorable part of his story for me is, yes, it, it was the acknowledgement of the shame and guilt that he felt and the ownership that he took to even have been in that situation that uh, that's almost enough for me. And then from what I can tell every day of his life thereafter, he was consumed by in a very positive healing way, his relationship with his wife and with his family, with his daughters. And as someone who has used guilt and shame of a personal nature to fuel growth, I'm very aligned with that story. And it's why I think those people are deserving of their place as role models. Because if, if on the other side of their perceived failures of, of character or otherwise, we can see them handling it with grace and with growth, then those are absolutely the people who deserve our attention. And thanks to the great Tony Robbins, I'm, I'm thinking more about the idea of people don't know who you are until they see what you do. And I, I believe that was a, an underlying principle of Kobe's life that d- despite, you know, as, as he had to determine who he was on the grandest of stages and, and from a very young age being a professional, a professional anything at 18, let alone a professional high level, less than 1% basketball player for an iconic worldwide organization. Uh, that is the fire that steals a sword. And he very much was that samurai. And so on, on the character level, I think that is deservedly one of the most significant chapters in, in his story. And I'm, I'm sourcing, uh, from here on out, a lot of great quotes from his book, The Mamba Mentality, which I was gifted as a surprise by my sister. I love you, Molly. I, I always think of you when I pick up this book and look at it across from me at my desk because uh, I can always leaf through that and, and find some new meaning to the the simple paragraphs and phrases that he thought to include in this anthology of of his how Kobe was very passionate about communicating the essence of his how. No, so, no, so not just the the result of what you do, but he said I, it's the how that people can extrapolate to their own lives and careers. And it, and it was that that commitment to work as pertains to doubt. I, I heard him speak later about how he realized that it had no place in his in his life because. Win or lose, you still have to go do it all again tomorrow. And I, I love that he was about that that refresh. That whatever happens tonight on the floor, I still got to wake up and be Kobe Bryant and go to work tomorrow and find a way tomorrow. So the doubt of whether or not success or failure hangs in the balance is not worth spending a lot of time on because whatever that result it's going to have its place in the win-loss column or in the in the injury or gain context. And 
then you go to sleep and you still got to pick it back up tomorrow. So I, I grapple with doubt all the time with any, any time I sit down in front of this microphone or with, with anything new or personal that I'm doing and I'm motivated, of course. I mean, you, you can't help but be motivated by someone like this, especially someone who so eloquently puts voice to his beliefs. And that's where we're missing Kobe Bryant so much these days in this time of podcasts and, and so much audio content where his voice, his, his deep, uh, uh, poetic, romantic voice uh, is, is greatly missed. And there's a universal uh, audio that is going around right now and is attached to a lot of people's Instagram videos of them working out or them working <laughs> or whatever it is. And I, I do love people who are able to clip that and, and use Kobe as motivation. But it's this audio clip, if you haven't heard it, about I signed, the, I signed that contract with myself. It was non-negotiable. And he goes on to explain that when I, when he made this agreement to do this training program from then on out, he said, there's no qualification. There's no, maybe, oh, but if I only, if I don't do it this day, I can make up for, no. And I'm so captivated by that approach and, and, and that intensity because there is an element of accountability that, that only Kobe could bring. And I, I'm, I'm, I should have written this down for my notes, but one definition of the Mamba mentality he said was by his example, holding others accountable to the pursuit of their greatest potential and accepting nothing less. That is infectious. Uh, it's also polarizing and off-putting to people who are not committed to that and he gotten people's ass about that when in in the later years with Laker teams that did not have that level of commitment from guys on the roster he would give it to them and I'm about that I'm 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 with that because I think we need again that's something that we could use a heavy dose of these days that it's not okay to coast it's not okay to distract yourself or rationalize with yourself reasons for not exploring the truest expression of who you are and what you're capable of. And so this idea of the contract, I love that, um, you know, if we, if we expand it to the circumstances of if someone signed an agreement with you, you would expect them to perform in every way possible that is laid out in that contract. Or else, right? That's what, that's why we sign contracts in, in real estate. If one side doesn't perform, there are contingencies in place to get someone, some side, some sort of compensation, if not legal uh, means to have them execute the, the deal no matter what, or, or at least pay a sum to soften that blow. So if, if you sign a contract, you would fully expect remuneration, retribution, or, or, or anything of that level if someone doesn't perform. And there's no qualification. There's no hesitancy. You, you lay it all out. And if we had that approach with the agreements we make with ourselves, especially for change and growth, then it becomes, I, I'm, I'm, 
I have my hand right now on Caroline Miss's sacred contracts, which is having a really dynamic direction on my own life and thinking about not not just complicit agreements that that we make willingly, but some of the more implicit ones as well. But I, I think in that dialogue with ourselves, using Kobe's example, it if if we brought that same level of agreement, accountability, and expectation for ourselves, then these issuances that we make become non-negotiable. We do everything as a professional. Signing a contract, I mean, just to expand his own example, if he signed a contract with the Lakers and they said, you know, we, we don't, it's the off season, so we don't really want to pay you what your monthly salary is, you know, that that check, we're, we're just going to hold on it, hunt it until the season starts again. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe there's some validity to that because I don't know how NBA contracts work, but uh, there's a, a really standard of, exp- a standard of expectation for performance that comes from signing a contract. So if we if we assimilate that into our own lives as Kobe did, then we become professionals. We become professionals at change. We become professionals at growth. We become real professionals in our whatever our pursuits are. And I I need that constant reminder to for something like a podcast to be a professional at this. It requires that that contract what are the non-negotiables of my execution? So, uh, th- those are the those are the morsels. Of, thankfully, we have those things recorded so that they. I, I I really do love seeing that pop up in in social media, and I want it to have the meaning that it did for Kobe, uh, not just as a as a cool story and look at how intense this guy is. Because I I have some reservations about that that we. And, and this is this is one of the ways I wish he was still with us to explain this because he he was on this path to being an elder, to being a wise elder who could, w- without force but with innate power, use his example and experience to guide other people, but also leave it on the table just to say, you can do whatever you want. I mean, you, you can be intense. I mean, I, I also love how he talked about emotions and you don't let your emotions control you because they come and go. Win, lose, good play, bad play, they they can't capture you, but you have to accept them all and go from there. And And we do think about him as a very serious, very intense, very aggressive man, but I'm sure that he felt the whole spectrum of emotions and uh, w- was was willing to give more uh, airtime, so to speak, to that post-retirement. And so I, I wish he could have had more time to discuss his approach because I, I think one of the places he would have landed would have been, yes, you need discipline, intensity, hard work, all, the, all those kind of staple characterizations that we think of him as, but... I think he would also communicate that there's that many paths lead up the mountain and my way is not the only way there will be some universal elements of of what it takes to be great but part of that as as he explained in his book gives rise to some some uh segregate uh 
or, or rather some exclusivity uh, to be really the, the focus is there. And that, that's one of the many parallels that I see to tennis is the the focus that is required to the tasks that you have to perform uh, whenever you're on the floor. I mean, you have to be there. He did talk about his presence of mind. Uh, I know uh, one of the things we'll get into is his use of meditation, and a lot of that was inspired by his coach, Phil Jackson, who I, I, I so admire Phil Jackson's approach, and we'll get into why shortly here. But uh, th- this is all to say I think that he would have not quite softened his message because I don't think there's there's too much softening. Maybe as time went on, uh, but he, he we would have had a fuller circular understanding of who Kobe was and is. And and by was, I mean during his career, that there was this emotional side, this well-roundedness of his attention to his experience, what was important, what was not, and those things would have been valuable. That said, I he he certainly gave enough explanation to, for 20 years, I had to be the best basketball player that period full stop. Uh, I, I don't quite know how he thought of that in relation to LeBron or Michael or magic. I, I, I think he was very singular in the pursuit of his own abilities. Uh, so that there was, that, that was the foundation for his extraordinary intensity and work ethic, uh, that it, that it did take on a sense of urgency on the other side of that is where I think he would have created the really immeasurable value and impact for all of us to use that, those lessons of intensity, realize that it doesn't apply to everyone, but there are so many principles that can be taken. And I, and this is my opportunity to get into some of them now, because as I said, to leaf through this book is all, always an inspiration, easy inspiration for me. And one of the places I'd like to start is that I have as the, and have had as the background to my computer, this, this idea, this quote that, uh, and, and I, I'll include the full quote here because Kobe said, or he wrote rather, when it came to basketball, I had no fear. What I mean by that is if I wanted to implement something in, new into my game, I'd see it and try incorporating it immediately. I wasn't scared of missing or looking bad or being embarrassed. That's because I always kept the end result, the long game, in my mind. I always focused on the fact that I had to try something to get it, and once I got it, I'd have another tool in my arsenal. If the price was a lot of work and a few missed shots, I was okay with that. As a kid, I would work tirelessly on adding elements to my game, and I would see something I liked in person or on film, go and practice immediately, practicing more the next day, and then go out and use it. By the time I reached the league, I had a short learning curve. I could see something, download it, practice it, and have it down pat. That idea that is the words or the background of my computer is if the price was a lot of work and a few missed shots, I was okay with that. And I I, I just get so fired up by 
his ability to express that, that it is a fearlessness that you can't worry about looking bad or being embarrassed. Someone with, I mean, certainly I, th- I think most basketball is such a classic example where the, the fundamentals are talked about so often. And I know Kobe talked about that frequently as a master of fundamentals you, you do still have to look for new ways to, yeah, yeah, to add new tools to your arsenal. And sometimes that's just efficiency or sometimes that is an evolution of, of some of the fundamentals. But in so doing, to be fearless of in the, in the face of embarrassment or, or short-term failure, uh, although, as I intend to speak about in depth on later podcasts, Kobe was very much a proponent of the winning versus learning mentality. You, you can never call Kobe Bryant a loser. That's for damn sure. But he came to to really have a disbelief in failure, that there was always something to learn from. And, and as we talked about, the refresh, the reset, that you'd have to go and do it all again the next day regardless. So there's no sense in, in dwelling on the failure. But this ability to forge through discomfort, embarrassment, in favor of improving your weaponry, that that is something that has become a, a, a more recent potent ingredient in my life. That uh, if there's any, anything on a daily, weekly, annual basis, we're we're in January. This is a time to be evaluating those things to to conjure up that level of fearlessness that someone like Kobe Bryant possessed to say. I don't care what I look like doing this. If it's something that piques my interest, I'm going to find a way to practice it and incorporate it. And if the price was a lot of work and a few missed shots, you got to be good with that. And so a, a follow-up to that of, of what it takes to be that sort of student of anything, and he applied this to, to language, to tennis, as I said, to filmmaking, storytelling, Kobe wrote, the only way I was able to pick up details on the court to be aware of the minutiae on the hardwood was by training my mind to do that off the court and focusing on every detail in my daily life by reading, by paying attention in class and practice, by working. I strengthened my focus by doing all of that. I strengthened my ability to be present and not have a wandering mind. Just as important as reading was cultivating relationships with the greats who come before me, came before me. Uh, that's a, I mean, I, that, that was a really mind attention grabbing takeaway for me was because I, I, I think we, if, if, if we pick on professional athletes for a second, <laughs> surprise, surprise, there might be a sloppiness outside of their craft and, and even within their craft. I mean, there, this is still... D- despite the leaps and bounds made in the field of nutrition, let alone sports nutrition, there are still young athletes who are able to perform despite poor diets. And uh, we, we could not accuse Kobe of that, especially as he grew older and wiser. But the attention to detail is a corollary to that famous phrase, how you do anything is how you do everything. And Kobe certainly embodied that, and 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 that is is a presupposition to an intensity that there is no cheat meal, cheat habit, 
let down here or there when you're trying to cultivate a synergy that all that that becomes your battery for performance and so i I, i'm very aligned with that concept to bring this attention to minutiae that is only cultivated i say only but i mean it's it's cultivated everywhere and his his love of reading i mean i know he was a speed reader and what was very also disciplined in his ability to accrue and apply knowledge and to that i that helped him develop this fluency with his own headspace and and he writes further that my mental preparation varied based on my headspace it varied based on where i thought my head needed to be for that specific game if i needed to get keyed up for example i listen to hard music if i needed to soothe myself i might play the same soundtrack i listened to on the bus in high school to put me back in that space it's all about putting me in the place I need to be in for that game. Some games require more intensity, so I would need to get my character in, in that mindset in an animated zone. Other games I needed calm in that situation. I wouldn't listen to music. Sometimes I even would sit in total silence. The key, though, is being aware of how you're feeling and how you need to be feeling. It all starts with awareness. And that is, there's a great moment more basketball documentaries on Netflix, The Last Dance, which is dedicated to Michael Jordan. One of the last episodes getting to the the climax of his career and, and The Last Dance with the Bulls, where one of the longtime Chicago beat writers talked about how what set Michael apart was his ability to be present. Holy deeply present. And I believe through Kobe's education, self-education, he landed in that place as well. Especially if you can speak to, uh, you know, he, he said there, that he didn't always have, uh, to quote some more from the book, I, I thought this was really interesting in, in terms of how you approach routines without being too restrictive. Kobe said, I always started off my routine close to the basket. I would start off short and work on my touch. Always, always, always doing that to get my muscle memory firing. Then I moved back, worked for a bit, moved back again and repeat the same process. After that, I'd start working on situational looks as I was going to probably get that night. I'd walk my body through the scouting report and be reminded of things that I had done thousands and thousands of times before. But... I never had a set routine or an ironclad formula that I practiced night after night. I had to listen to my body and let it inform my warm-up because there are always variables. If I felt the need to shoot extra jumpers, I'd shoot more. If I felt the need to meditate, I would meditate. If I felt the need to stretch for a longer duration, I would stretch. And if I felt the need to rest, I'd take a nap. I always listen to my body. That's the best advice I can give. Listen to your body and warm up with purpose. And that's especially critical for people who are still playing sports today. Uh, the, the, the routine is good, and you, you still need that intuitiveness. You need to develop that ability to, and this is the element of play that I think even someone known for that as that aggressor, as that winner, as that competitor 
there, these are the elements of play that you still have to flow. And your body is what we, of course, rely on to play. And if it's telling you it needs a certain dose of something, then you have to honor that. And that's how you develop a, a literacy, a fluency with your body and then your mind and then your soul is being responsive and not reactive to those things. And Kobe gave himself the space to do that. And that demands a presence that you can't be forcing your body, mind, spirit into this routine because this is what I do and this is what I've done for my whole life, 15 years, 10 years in the league, whatever. Uh, that openness, I think, is such a profound aspect of his story. And, and that, that openness also literally left the door open. I, I love this. The, the pictures from Andrew Bernstein, Bernstein uh, who long time, I believe, L.A.-based and, and possibly Laker-exclusive photographer, but who Kobe signed to put this book together, the pictures are so beautiful. And I mean, of, of course, so many of them are Laker gold and purple, and you're seeing the sweat beads on Michael Jordan and his bald head when they when they both were bald and, and playing together at the end of Michael's career. But uh, one of the things I picked up on in uh, this review of the book was in, on one page as Kobe's warming up. It's in this section on his warm up. He has these super high top, laced up sneakers. It was one of the Kobe Nike shoe models that I mean the the tongue and the and the structure of the shoe are going halfway up his calf I'm, I'm halfway up the ankle rather but that's like a next level high top sneaker and something that he put his name on and was making royalties off of and he was still open for his own benefit let alone as something that he saw as a visionary potentially for the future of the sport and thankfully it has gained a lot of inertia was the evolution into a low-top sneaker. And he got this inspiration from uh, futsal, which is played, um, I think, mostly in, in kind of the uh, urban, I mean, in a lot of South American communities, but uh, barefoot or, or minimalist shoe, literally minimalist, minimalist shoe, uh, soccer. And Kobe was a big soccer fan as well. Uh, really a, a citizen of the world and the world sports to be sure. But uh, I, I, I love that you can have someone who, despite having their, like I said, their name, image on a sneaker type and brand. I mean, he, he put the heat on Nike to develop a, a professional basketball quality low top sneaker. And I, I think that's especially important because the more, experience and research I've given to foot health, lower leg health, we so we do need more freedom of mobility and sort of, it may seem counterintuitive to put your, your lower leg at such risk, but the greater imagery here is that the more that you confine yourself and, and, and prevent yourself from being in awkward or unpredictable positions by use of a, of a weight belt or a brace or a high top sneaker, then you, then you facilitate some level of weakness and our, our bodies do depend on some 
level of unpredictability and and that's how we get adaptation because if you said this before i learned this from the all blacks new zealand all blacks rugby strength coach if you keep giving your body the same stimulus it will only know how to do that but if you pepper in some unpredictability or or some higher level of stressful stimuli then your body has the ability to adapt and that was something that Kobe explored and, and began to really promote. I think we do see a, 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 not a resurgence, but as I said, some inertia in the NBA for low-top sneakers. Uh, I think in sports, I mean, s- soccer, you can't really help it. That, that's been a, a long-time staple there, and, and I think that's a great place to look from. But I think we could all l- learn a great lesson. That's another a podcast when I get to sit down uh, for a podcast with Graham Tuttle, the barefoot sprinter, who's a pioneer of that for uh, for, for foot health and, and ankle health, especially. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that was for for me uh, something that spoke to Kobe's openness. And you only develop that openness if you're aware enough to realize that any rigidity that you maintain in your life creates some level of, of weakness and uh, vul- vulnerability in, in a way that you, you wouldn't quite have. You'd have a strength more so from your openness and from your fluidity. And I think one person that he probably had some guidance for in that arena was Phil Jackson. And these are his words about Phil Jackson, briefly put, although Phil does have a, an introduction to this great book. Phil Jackson was more than just a coach. He was a visionary. Whereas his assistant, Tech Winter, was all about minutiae, Phil was about the scale. He taught concepts within basketball, but more so the macro concept of basketball. He was able to teach without lecturing the importance of being a team and how to get from point A to point B to point championship. He was also able to get guys to understand energy, flow, and meditation. And and that is has come to be the lore around Phil Jackson is he was this monk-like character kind of outside of whatever mainstream consciousness was. And having heard Michael, and, and of course he's also featured prominently in The Last Dance, the, the fact that he was able to work with two highly powered teams like the Bulls and the Lakers and win you know, almost a dozen championships between the two, uh, not to mention his own experience as a player. But he developed this uncanny tact for communicating that to young men and men who probably did not have much experience before him for an education in energy, flow, and meditation. And... I, I am more drawn to that. I mean, on the in the pantheon of of great coaches, Phil Jackson is certainly there. Bill Belichick is there, and we don't know as much yet because Bill is still very much in the throes of uh, his coaching career. But Bill strikes me as more of a of a minutiae technician type coach, and I'm sure that's because he has a, a macro mastery of the game of football certainly been around it long enough and and in the in the trenches but I I am more drawn to Phil Jackson's approach 
Still, I mean, he was, you know, along with Tex Winter, his longtime assistant with both the Bulls and the Lakers, was able to develop something like the triangle offense, which is very technical. But but that is more about flow. That is more about adaptation. And you only get there if you understand the the energy and some of the intangibles that you bring to a certain set down the floor or to your locker room culture. And those are the things that give you the the blueprint for, as Kobe very cleverly put, point A to point B to point championship. There not that it's a it's not quite a formula, but with an understanding of I mean I, I think it's simply put, energy flow meditation that helps your team connect with their their potential, their capacity to perform, to elevate beyond what they might think of as physical limitations. And that's wildly inspiring for someone like me with, with an eye toward coaching is that, that um, adroitness, I would say, that, that delicate handling of communicating these things so that they still become applicable to your sport. And it's, it was nothing but pure magic and serendipity that Phil Jackson was able to work with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant that they landed and, and earned themselves to a similar caliber. I won't say who's better. I don't, I don't think that conversation is, is worth bearing. But uh, I, I, I think these are incredibly fortuitous relationships that, I mean, if... Not that they would still be working together as coach-athlete, but if that was a relationship that was able to produce even more what Phil Jackson, Kobe Bryant could then communicate to the world. Like if they wrote a book, that would be a a sports Bible, I believe. But these things are all for naught, and I I don't want to dwell in the could have been because we clearly have enough in the encyclopedia of Kobe Bryant to pull from constantly. Uh, w- one of the things that I love, which is, which is sort of um, a relation of Michael Jordan saying in The Last Dance, why would I think about missing a shot I haven't taken yet? Which, that, that echoes in my mind all the time if I ever express a reticence to, to not do something. Uh, because, I mean, that, that's, that's the... I, th- I think that has the full essence of our fears and our concerns is, I mean, wh- why even put yourself in that headspace w- worrying, doubting before you've even done it? Why would I worry about missing a shot I haven't taken yet? I haven't taken it yet. I, it could be the perfect everything and be nothing but fucking net. And that's what I trained for. So the, the cousin of that statement was Kobe writing about how people make a huge deal out of clutch shots. The thing is, it's just one shot. If you make a thousand shots a day, it's just one of a thousand. Once you're hitting that many, what's one more? And I, I, I love that mentality because it, 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 it speaks to mastery and why you want to put yourself in the 10,000-hour club or in the 1,000-shot-a-day club, the 100 free throws made a day club, because then you dilute 
the significance of like, like we'll, we'll be coming up on Super Bowl season. I, I will often see a lot of coaches or, or people or players talking about like, it's a Super Bowl. Like you got to treat it like it's this massive deal. It'll bring out the best in you. Yes. And you should be striving toward that place of it's just one more route. I got to run. It's just one more tackle. It's not the tackle. It's still just doing my job. It's still taking that shot. It's one shot of, of the thousand that I, that I took in the last two days. And it's not to take those shots for granted. I don't think that's what he's getting at here. But uh, w- one thing that I'll round out with is the discussion, discussion around pressure. Kobe talked about how the antidote to pressure is to have higher expectations for yourself than anyone else could possibly have. And so that, that relates to what we're talking about here with it's just, another, it's just one shot. It's not the shot. It's not the go-ahead shot. It's just one shot. And I'll do it to the best of my ability, which I have crafted and honed over the years and over the thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of shots that I've taken in my life. And so the, the pressure dissipates. I mean, I, I go back and forth on the meaning of pressure all the time because it, it can exist from yourself. It shouldn't cripple you. But how do we how do we dilute it? How do we soften its edges? And the the concept that practice makes perfect is qualified more so by the idea that practice makes per- permanent. You know, that you, you could also dilute that to say perfect practice makes perfect. Perfect practice is hard to do. I, I love the quote from Roger Federer where he said, I didn't know you were supposed to win at practice. You could try telling that to Kobe Roger and you might you might have gotten smacked up because I, I'm, I'm confident that Kobe treated practice with the same intensity that he did everything else. But that was to make it permanent. And it wasn't about attaining perfection it was about greasing that groove to the point where you do attain a a permanence of effort of commitment of discipline and that is what you want out of practice but but pressure i think can be alleviated with kobe's approach that you the onus for expectation only resides within yourself and it should be elevated to a point beyond what any others can conceive of you. And people might be your fan, as Kobe undoubtedly had. And he acknowledged his, uh, as Michael did, the responsibility, obligation that they felt to people coming to watch them play, watching them on TV, taking time out of their their lives to be witness. And he said, I, I owe them everything I have. Uh, that they are a part of my story. And, and I think that created a humility within them that may not have always been obvious on the surface because of how their passion came out in, in their commitment to their sport. But with Kobe, uh, to glide into a conclusion here for this reflection and this tribute on Kobe and the the presence that is still felt and and I, I am grateful that his presence lives on in social media in in the NBA with players who are wearing his shoes who Jason Tatum rocks uh, an armband now uh, really ever since Kobe passed I mean it has Jason's zero on it 
but it, it is very Kobe-esque, and, and he has talked about Kobe's influence on him. And I, I want to be part of that as well and emulate a Mamba mentality that is as much about myself as it is about other people, that through my example, without preaching and pontificating, I can just be this Kobe-like figure who is relentless, persistent, disciplined, aware, meditative. And what we got to see that was so emotional for me and, and that is magnified now by the fact that it's no longer a light in the world is what he was able to do uh, or participate in and create from a place of creativity, lovingness. What he was doing with his storytelling in the TV and film space was, I think, remarkably, uh, just a remarkable epitome epitome is the wrong word because I I now know that epitome means average and there's nothing about Kobe that was average and but but what he was achieving with his exploration of his his creative capacity it it didn't have that that uh, tainted element of like a I mean maybe I'm too harsh to say this but of um entertainers in in the athlete space who then go and be actors like he wasn't doing that i think this was a genuine he he's talked about like his 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 innate inkling towards storytelling and like what this goes back to the contract i mean what what sort of dialogue do you have with yourself that then shapes your life and he he was on that path to as I said, being, being the elder and being a beacon to guide people toward their own light, not just to his own. And one other thing I'll have to say before I forget, I mean, with the wealth of feminine energy he had in his own home, what I saw that gaining ground for was this transition that we are due for in this world into an, an, an embracing of more feminine energy, which includes healing and union with nature, with our bodies, with each other. Uh, some level of chaos that is, you know, that, that we don't harness necessarily, but that we groove with. Uh, there, there's there's many more elements I'm neglecting of feminine energy, but I think he was someone who was going to temper his very potent and magnificent masculine energy and have that yin and yang uh, beca- because he was blessed with a, a bunch of women in his, in his immediate family. And that could have been a source of great growth for all of us. And I mean, those women in his family, I, I, God only knows how they're able to cope and, and continue with the loss of two of their family members. I I pray that they're able to do it from a place of inspiration and, and, and 
sanctifying their memory. Uh, I believe they can because they were so specially connected. But uh, I mean, man, that is a an incredible challenge, and as as much of a loss as I feel, it it, it cannot compare to people who's who were intimately connected with Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi, who who apparently was uh, you know kind of the closest to him in terms of an athlete and, and with her goals and intensity and uh, what since we have to cope with that reality of loss and with untold stories uh, that's when I think it becomes important not not to say well Co- you know what would Kobe do I, I definitely want to embrace some of that but I think the grander goal here is to to honor some of these people, to honor a Nipsey Hussle and, and what he was striving for, the the growth of his community, the consciousness that he was trying to elevate with a more spiritual connection with life, not being so worldly. Kobe was very much on that path too. I think that probably had a lot to do with his faith, but also with his life's experience. And this is these are not directly sourced from Kobe or the book or anything, but uh, they seem to really, um, I think mesh with his example. And, uh, th- this is circulated on Instagram as well. And I'll, I'll be posting it there. Uh, but it, like I said, even if they're not Kobe Bryant's 10 rules, I think they're, they're great 10 rules that could be recapitulated from the story of Kobe Bryant. Number one is get better every single day. And if we have that, commitment in our mind, if it, if it becomes a contract for us, if we're willing to put pen to paper with our soul, then that intention, even if we fall short, I think with an intention like that to get better every day, if you feel like you fall short, that's not grounds to condemn yourself. It's, 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 it's a launching ground to say, okay, well, if I know I have to pick it up again tomorrow, how do I stop the landslide here? How do I nip whatever's nagging me in the bud and get back to, you know, what's my improvement? Maybe my my improvement is just my bounce back time from that error I made, from that disappointment I felt. So of of course that has a place in our lives. Number two, prove them wrong. Whoever's doubting you, whoever is critical of you, judgmental of you, have the resolve to prove them wrong. And I, I, I do appreciate a chip on a shoulder. Yes, I, I am a, an advocate for individuation and, and letting a lot of that reside solely within yourself. Your only competition is you of yesterday. But if you enjoy, if you thrive on some external stimuli, stimulus, proving them wrong is a great one. And you can, you can make up some doubters and haters if that fuels you too. I know Kobe would. I know Michael would. Uh, but it helps you. If you're trying to prove people wrong, if you're trying to get better every day, you also have to work on your weaknesses. And that's that's the number three rule here as well. Um, it That will always keep you on edge. That will always keep you competitive if you, first of all, can acknowledge your weaknesses on the personal, emotional, physical front. Uh, injuries, I've talked about the pain teacher. Uh, that's been so... Gosh, I mean, it's it's been almost a, a spiritual journey for me whenever I've been hurt in the last couple of years because it jolts me into acknowledging, 
okay, you're, you're weak in this area. An injury is a weakness. I mean, very, very few injuries in my experience have been traumatic. So if there's a weakness, then it, it really launches me into a new work, a new project on myself, which is, which is the best, those are the best projects I can ask for. The fourth rule is execute what you practiced. And this is, again, to, to rehash, practice makes permanent. And so if you're deliberate with that, and uh, Tony Robbins uh, talked about this recently as well, that you need to be able to workshop and explain what is your unique competitive advantage said another way, why should someone work with you? You need to be able to practice that and then execute it. And that's, that's a big challenge for me in the world of real estate, I think, and, and coaching. I mean, I think, I think the average person knows 10 realtors. So what makes me different? I need to be able, not just as, a, as an elevator pitch, you know, m- maybe in 30 seconds, but just to say, this is what I believe makes me different and why it would work so well for you. Uh, that that is an execution of something that I practice, and it's the same thing when I'm practicing my. Uh, I, I'm a major major advocate in the world of tennis of shadow swinging. I'm on everybody about it. If you want to improve your strokes, go outside. You don't even need to be on a bloody court and swing your racket until you feel comfortable with your strokes. Slow it down. This comes from the world of martial arts. If you do, if you practice a technique in super, super slow motion, what that manifests is a really delicate intuitiveness and connection with all of your muscles, with your mind-body awareness, with your, leg- with your ligaments, your tendons, everything that goes into executing something you've practiced. So that, but the execution still needs to be there. We still have to be the becoming as well as our being. Learn from greatness. Can't help it with Kobe Bryant. He is, he was, I, I may have to say is, I may need to redo this whole podcast and say Kobe is, Kobe is, Kobe is, because he does still live with us. And that's just not in a memory. Uh, that, that's what I'm coming around to believing about people whose bodies are, are no longer inhabiting this world. But since our minds are so powerful to remember them, that is a reality that they occupy. So Kobe is greatness. And we've talked about the things that made him great. And one of those things as well, rule number six, is to learn from wins and losses. So that becomes wins and lessons. That you you still need to be a student when you win. And try to cultivate a, a habit of what am I doing that's working and not working, even in a victory. And then a loss, you, you, can, you can bring the same evaluation. What, what did I did that was worked and maybe what did I do that worked and maybe didn't break my way and where did I fall short and, and where is there room for improvement? I love that this seventh rule is practice mindfulness. That mindfulness is a loaded word, but if, even if you just break it down to be full of an awareness of the mind, to, to let yourself occupy the fullness of your mind which is incalculable. So if you can expand yourself to be in touch with whatever you're thinking, feeling, doing, that will change your life. That we, um, if I can think of, oh, it's a great, J- Josh Trent, whom I really admire in the podcast space, uh, he, he talks about this for, I believe it's an Alan Watts quote, that we begin to 
when we learn to think about our thinking, we become alive in a new way. That's the quote. When we learn to think about our thinking, we become alive in a new way. So that is the observer effect to take a a step back, say, hmm, why did I think that thought? Where does it come from? Is it really true? And explore that dark alley. You'll often find that you bring a lot of light with you just by exploring it. Be ambitious. Amen, brother. Um, not not like Caesar, not not uh, not as Mark Antony declaims about Caesar's ambition, but more so that I think that is investing in yourself, taking risks for yourself, and that helps if you honor the number nine rule: believe in your team. If you are the type of person who is consciously uh, constructing the right team, if you are selective and discriminatory about the people whom you consider to be your teammates, then you can believe in them. You don't have to worry if they're going to be disloyal or unsupportive or unnecessarily critical. I think the belief in your team is a source of strength that Kobe found in his championship runs and and his whole experience is when that belief is there then it's not just your your battery that you need to rely on you get you get to lean on other people as well and that is what our lives are about but it, but it it's not just luck of the draw okay what family was i born into what school am i in you know as we grow it's incumbent upon us to to draft that team and to then establish a culture through energy, through discourse, where we know we can believe in them and believe what we're trying to accomplish. And last and certainly not least, because it's occupying a substantial amount of space in my awareness right now, is this advice from Kobe to learn storytelling. And as I invest more into the work of Rudolf Steiner and Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, the the relationship there is that of myths and storytelling. And I think in a phrase, it was Jung who said that a myth is something that has never happened, but is happening all the time. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that, I believe. But when we come to be in regular contact with our myths, with these stories, that even if we say, well, you know, the, the never, Hercules never happened, the idea of 12 trials and I mean, I, I look forward to doing a mythology podcast. I have great ideas for that. But the, the point I wanted to end with is that I think of all the things that you could say about life, is it a battle? Is it a test? Is it a dance? Is it a piece of art? I think it's a story and it has to be, I'm, I'm pausing to think of Kobe's story and, and if I could echo maybe the sentiment here, well, it's got to be written by you and it has to be done with flair, with creativity, with play, with all emotions, with all experiences. And that's what makes it so rich. And if you learn storytelling as an art, not only do you, I think, 
I think not only do you hone the skill for communicating with others, and, and then, I mean, I am someone who searches for meaning in everything, in every encounter, and every occurrence. That is something I've sort of been doing for a long time. And I used to get discouraged because I would think, oh, if other people, you know, other people would just think I'm being too emotional here <laughs> and, and, and searching for something that really doesn't exist. But I can't help but find meaning in, in most of what I do and connect with. So, and, and I'm, that's why I have a, a longstanding relationship and affinity for fiction because it doesn't matter if it's not true. I love the story. I love the arc. I love the, it's not, it doesn't even have to be surprising, even if it's somewhat predictable. There's a profundity to what goes on there that I know exists in my own life. And so I was really admiring Kobe's ambition to launch himself into the realm of storyteller. And I think we have to go back to the completed history of Kobe Bryant since he is departed from his human form and learn from those lessons. So if, I mean, th this is my, my call to action that this is, this, this is a man who was deserving of his place in the world as a leader. He earned that. He, we learned who he was through what he did. And I like what I saw. I, I really admire and respect and want to emulate what I saw from the life of Kobe Bryant. And so we remember him today, January 26th, his daughter Gigi, the people who, whose lives were lost as they accompanied them. And from any loss, there should be gain. There should be, there should be lessons learned. There should be wisdom assimilated into our own lives. And the least we can do is, is remember and feel whatever comes from that remembering whatever comes up. And, and a lot has come up for me today, just beyond the notes that I shared with you all. But as always, it's a, it's a gratitude to you for sitting through this time with me to exploring some thoughts and feelings that I've explored. And I'll just let you know that this man is with me every day. I mean, that, that, that may sound cheesy, but that was the, the force of nature who Kobe Bryant is and was but more importantly is because he does have part of his aura that lives on. And it is a historically dynamic one, an intense one, a victorious one, even in his death. So check out all that you can on the life of Kobe Bryant because it should and will likely have a deep impact on your life as it has impacted mine. May he and those people and his daughter rest in paradise and may their memory continue to inspire, motivate, and guide all of us.